Our scripture passage this morning comes from Luke 2, 4 through 11. And hear these great words. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks by night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the city of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. This is the word of God for us, the people of God, and we say thanks be to God. Good morning, everyone. It's great to see you. The shepherds, though, what I want to tell you about this morning, the shepherds in the Christmas story, I'd even love for you to just try to picture these shepherds who are keeping watch over their flocks by night. This, uh, for some of you, may be the first time you've ever heard this story, or you may have heard it a hundred times, but I'd love for you just to kind of try to think about who, uh, who they were and what, what they even looked like on that night when God showed up to them. You know, the shepherds are really significant. You know, they were the first ones to receive the news of Jesus' birth. They were the first ones to seek after Jesus. They were the first ones to find Jesus. And then they were the first ones to tell somebody else about Jesus. So these are really significant players in the story. So significant. I'm going to go over that again. The shepherds were the first people to receive the news of Jesus' birth. So all kinds of people, millions, billions have heard about it now. Even in the last few weeks, some folks have heard for the first time about Jesus that might be connected to Christmas. But the shepherds were the first ones to receive the news. They were the first ones to seek after Jesus. Some of you here this morning are in a season of life where you're sort of seeking after Jesus. What's this all about? What's it going to mean for me to encounter Jesus? The shepherds were the, the first ones to do that. They were also the first ones to find Jesus. Sometimes you'll hear folks say, uh, I found Jesus, which is an awesome exclamation. I often, I actually believe Jesus always finds us first, but it's still a cool thing to say, right? I found Jesus. The shepherds were the first ones to be like, I found him. And then uh, they also did this thing that we have to do, and that's tell others. So you can't, you don't just receive him, seek him, and, and then find him. It, it, it turns into something else where you want to tell others about it through your story, um, through feeding hungry kids, uh, through taking care of people who are, are forgotten. I just want to point out one word to you today about the shepherd's situation, about their job, about who they were, and about what was going on. It's found in the scripture. The, the first verse there is verse 7 that we looked at that says, she, that's Mary, gave birth to her firstborn, a son. So some of you moms here might even be able to imagine Think about what was it like to give birth to your firstborn? That's what happened. Mary gave birth to her firstborn. She wrapped him in cloths. The more traditional uh, old version of the scripture says, in swaddling clothes. And that was just these strips of cloth. They wrapped the baby up with these strips of cloth. She laid him in a manger, which was a feeding trough, because there was no room for them in the inn. But then it says, and there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks by night. 
And the word I want us to pay attention to uh, this morning is just that one word, living. I don't know if you had thought about that. I hadn't really pondered it too much. The shepherds were living in the fields. They weren't spending an afternoon in the fields. They weren't finishing up an eight-hour shift in the fields. They weren't coming to the end of their weekend away out in the fields. They were living out in the fields. Their job required them to be on all the time. Anybody got a job like that? Can't, they were had to be on all the time. It, it, it seems that watching sheep uh, was, was something that required your full attention all of the time. So the fields outside of Bethlehem, the rocky ground, the frigid nights in winter, the scorching sun in the summertime, the caves that were carved out in the sides of the hillside was not somewhere they commuted to Monday through Friday. They lived out in the fields. So I have this phrase for you to think about, where are you living? Like, I am living in blank. Where is it that you are living right now? I don't want you to fill it in right this second because you're going to just put like Mount Juliet or uh, your address. That's the voice I imagine you have. Uh, Mount Juliet. What I want to ask you about is, where is it that you can't leave? Like when you fall asleep at night, you're like, oh my goodness, I'm still there. I'm still here. I'm living in grief. I'm living in frustration. I'm living with anxiety. My heart's pounding as I fall asleep. I'm, I'm, I'm living in abuse. Or maybe it's for you. I'm living in hopeful expectation. Like that's where I'm at right now. Or I'm living in love. I love this person. I'm in this season of feeling uh, so in love. I just want you to think about where you're living right now. And I think this is important too, um, to really understand the story, to understand what God is up to in Jesus. You have to see that the shepherds uh, were living outside of the city. So it says they, doesn't just say they were living in the fields, it says they were living out in the fields. That isn't to say that the hillsides outside of Bethlehem uh, were a worse place to live than the cobblestone streets of Bethlehem. But it is to say in this story, you understand Jesus is in, he's in the city and the shepherds are out of the city. So the shepherds were living out. They were living out in the fields. And God came to where they lived. And God came to where they lived. And the light shone around them where they lived. They lived in the fields. It was dark and the, and the light shone around them and the glory of the Lord was there and they were terrified. And the angel said to them, don't be terrified. I've come to bring you good news of great joy and it's for all of the people. I don't think there's any misplaced word in the angel's announcement. It's for all of the people. Today in the town of David, a savior has been born. He is the Messiah, the Lord, and this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths, in a feeding trough. How are we gonna know him? How are we gonna know we found the right one? Oh, he, it's a baby and he's wrapped up in these cloths and he's, he's in a manger. I, I loved Clayton and I was annoyed by Clayton. Uh, did you know you can love somebody and be annoyed by them? same time some of you you can raise your hand in your heart if that person's just sitting right next to you it's like you can give me that look like I see you Jacob I I'm I'm tracking with your story already 
I loved Clayton, and I was annoyed by Clayton. Uh, Rachel and I had just bought our first house. We were 22 years old. It was a starter home. It was up on this little hill. We were so proud of it. We were so excited. We were so in love. Uh, that first uh, month that we lived there, we bought a puppy, uh, a beagle puppy, and named him Simon, and we actually built him a fence. We did. Uh, we built a fence around our backyard to hold uh, Simon in. I started coming uh, home, though, in the afternoons, and Simon, our beagle puppy, was out. He was out in the neighbor's yard. He was in somebody's trash. I uh, had a voice on the, on the um, answering machine, which was this device connected to a phone that was wired into the house. <laughs> and people would call the house. It would go into this device, and you could hear what people said. And people would say, like, your dog is out. I was like, how's my dog getting out on my fence? And I came home one afternoon and the gate to our fence was propped open and I walked in and in my hammock with my beagle puppy was Clayton. He's a 13-year-old boy, a neighbor boy. And um, from that point on, it seems like he was just always around. And I grew to love him, but he also annoyed me. So I'd be in the backyard wanting to, you know, get some kind of work done and there was Clayton. Rachel would come home from work and we were gonna go for a walk. We're newlyweds, right? And Clayton would be like walking right in between us. One time we were watching a movie and somehow I just look over and Clayton's sitting there watching the movie with us. I loved him and, and he was also an interruption into my life. One Saturday night, Clayton knocked on our door. He woke me up. It was late. And I was trying to wipe the sleepiness like out of my brain to understand why this 13-year-old was standing on my welcome mat in a big uh, winter coat, uh, shivering. I, I couldn't convince him to come, any, come one step off the welcome mat. And I knew that something wrong at the time I was training and studying to be a pastor that worked with young adults and young people I knew that something was wrong and I talked with him we had, we, we had a little prayer together and then this is what I told him I said Clayton go home wake up your dad and tell him what's going on but I did not call Clayton's dad and I did not walk him home I sent him on his way and I went back to bed and that night in the neighborhood where I lived Clayton walked away from our house and some, sometime in the night he committed suicide. And this darkness covered me that I had never felt before. I remember uh, going to bed that night. The next night, I didn't sleep at all. I stayed up all night. And I was having this conversation with God. I was saying, God, maybe when the sun comes through the blinds, I'll feel better. I was just waiting and waiting and waiting for the sun. And then finally the sun came through the blinds and I felt the same. It was my first experience. Um, well, what happened is that day I changed where I lived. I started living in grief and I started living in shame. I started living in this sort of self-punishing regret that I couldn't get away from. It, like I'd experienced sadness before and regret, but I'd never built a house there. And so I did what little boys do when where they are living seems like an oppressive place. I packed a bag and I ran away. I called my brother, who at the time lived in the desert uh, south of Phoenix. And I asked him if I could come visit him, to which he said, you can. He said, but I have to work. And I said, it's okay, I don't wanna see you. I just wanna get away from where I live. And so I, those days, I was a full-time student. I left my wife who was grieving at home and 
those days I would spend time walking in these desert trails out behind my brother's house. He lived at the foot of the Superstition Mountains. And uh, in the Superstition Mountain, there's one sort of prominent uh, mountain that you can see. It's called the Flat Iron. And it looks like an iron that comes out. And I asked my brother one night, I said, can you walk to the top of the Flat Iron? I just wanted to get as far away as possible. And he said yes in a way that seemed to say, some people can walk there. I don't think you can. (laughs) So the next morning I got up early. I had some water, Teva sandals on, nothing to eat. And I spent all day hiking. Sometime in the afternoon, I got to the top of the flat iron. I sat down. I was miserable. You ever been miserable and you're just trying to create a more miserable situation? I sat down, miserable, hot, tired, hungry, scraped up, and sad, and mad, mad at myself. Uh, And I even started feeling mad towards God, living in it. You see what I'm saying? Living in grief, living in the feelings. So I sat down and I began to talk to God again. I'd been training to be a pastor. And this is what I I remember saying this. And I've told this story a bunch of times, as you know. This is what I said. I said, God, if I was ever going to be something or someone that you could use, now I know that I can't. And you may or may not believe this. This may or may not make sense. But when I said that, I felt Jesus come and sit down next to me on the top of that mountain. I felt God put a crack in my heart where a little bit of light could shine in. I began to cry, of course, and I actually felt a smile come to my face when I realized that I could run as far as I could think to run at 22 years old to a desert, to a mountain, and there's nowhere that I could go that God was not coming after me to find me. I had a flip phone This was 2003. And I looked and I had service. And I called my older brother and I said, I made it to the top. And he said, that's good. And then he said, you realize you have to walk back down, right? I was like, yeah, I was just thinking about that. And then I told my brother that I was hurting. And the next day, he took off from work And he took me on a canoe ride through a canyon. And we caught fish. And I shared with somebody who loved me about what was going on inside of me. And I felt the crack get wider and the light shine in more. And I realized that no matter where you're living, God is going to find you. I don't know what's in your blank, where you're living today, what you're living in. But I know this, it's not too far from where God can find you. Our young friend Clayton, he died on February the 23rd, 2003. One year later to the day, February the 23rd, 2004, I stayed up all night again. I didn't sleep a wink, but it was for a different reason. February the 23rd, 2004, my first daughter, Mary, was born. And we cried again, of course. And it wasn't like her life replaced the life of Clayton or even that her birth took away the sadness. I still carry the sadness of that loss. But the baby for me, for us, we couldn't mistake it. On that day, a year to the day, the baby was God saying to me and Rachel, I'm coming to where you live. Turns out we had to take the baby home. Like you can't just, they'll keep him for a few days. Eventually, we took Mary home to the same house where Clayton sat on the couch with us. Same house 
where I felt like I made my biggest mistake. The same house where I punished myself with regret and grief. The same house I brought the baby into, right? Which meant I had to keep going. I had to keep breathing. I had to keep receiving the news of Jesus. I had to keep seeking after Jesus. I had to keep finding Jesus. And I had to keep telling other people about Jesus. There were shepherds out in the fields nearby keeping watch over their flocks by night and the angel of the Lord shone around them and the glory of the Lord shone around them. They were terrified. And the angel said, do not be afraid. I come to bring you good news of great joy and it's for all the people. Today in the town of David, A Savior has been born. He's the Messiah. He's the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You'll find a baby (laughs) wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Every word of the message to the shepherds, I think, is important. But the last part, the part about the baby wrapped in cloths, or more traditional swaddling clothes, is something that likely would have caught the attention of shepherds outside of Bethlehem. You see, Jewish shepherds kept sheep not just for wool and for food. They raised sheep for the sacrifice in the temple. And there were times when they knew that these little baby lambs that were born would be the ones that would be taken to the temple and be sacrificed. The lamb was the way of the people of God saying, we are sad. Things are not right yet. God, we still need you. God, make a way. And so I learned just this week, Pierce showed me something I'd never uh, read before a Jewish rabbi writing about the process for what shepherds would do with these sheep. They would take them into the caves and deliver them like babies. Without them ever touching the ground, they would wrap the baby lamb in strips of cloth, swaddling the lamb to keep it, the the law said, to keep it from blemish or spot. And so they would care for this lamb, wrapping it in, tightly in these strips of cloth, and they would carry it to the temple. Can you imagine the feeling of this beautiful lamb for people who cared for sheep? It would have been a powerful moment, but it would have been a sad moment too. The lamb was going to die. The shepherds are told that the baby, the one that was to be born, was wrapped like they would wrap a lamb for the sacrifice. And so the moment when they came to see baby Jesus would have been in all the fields kind of thing. The Savior has come, but he looks to us like a sacrificial lamb. A baby in swaddling clothes. The baby is wrapped in sorrow from the very beginning. Jesus is wrapped in sorrow from the very beginning. The shepherds are first to, the first to get the message that I need this morning. And it's one that you may need as well. And it's this. Jesus is not a sorrow eliminator if you carry sadness this morning. Jesus doesn't come and with one swath of his hand, all of our sadness is gone. No, the story says Jesus is wrapped in sorrow. Thank goodness, because I'm sad. Aren't you? A part of you? I promised myself 20 years ago when I started doing this job that I would just that I would try as best I could to be honest. And today I'm, I'm sad. I'm sad that 13-year-olds die tragically. And I'm, I'm sad that there are hungry kids in Mount Juliet. Like it's a, it causes an urgency in me. I, I don't know what to do with it. We're, we're trying everything we can, right? 
I'm sad that, um, that friends die too young. I'm sad. I went to a seminar this week that said one in, one in three girls are sexually abused. I have three daughters. It made me so sad. And I know, you know, I think a grown man, he shouldn't get up here and talk about how sad he is. But I believe in Jesus. And Jesus comes wrapped in sadness <laughs> to where I live. And so if you're in a season of grief today or confusion or frustration, if you can't even put a name to it, Jesus is coming out to where you live to invite you to find him. Whatever it is that you're living in today, God, I think, wants to come and say, I see you. That's why we're doing this stuff at Christmas Eve. Like to, for the Brooks House, we want to say abused women and children of our community, we see you. We love you. Hungry kids, we see you. Children of Haiti, a place ravaged by earthquakes and now revolt where it's hard to even get to, we see you. We care about you. You're a value. You're important. And so this morning, I want you to hear the good news. It's of great joy. It's for all the people. And it's this, today in the town, Jesus has come and he's wrapped in swaddling. You'll find him. He's wrapped in swaddling clothes. Let us pray. God, thank you for the story of the shepherds because we can relate. We can relate to being people who are surprised that you would come to us. Folks who are seeking after you and, and we feel compelled, God, to do something uh, with this baby that we found. We're compelled to, to take, take him home, take him into the community. We don't know exactly what to do or how to do it, but we know you're with us and we cling to you. I just want to pray real quick for the people in the room who are sad. If you're sad this morning, know that Jesus loves you. Even in this moment, he wants to come and sit down next to you. He's here. He loves you. He's not come as one who has to, to stay away from anything that's sad or sorrowful or filled with grief. In fact, just the opposite. He's, he's wrapped in it. He knows what you're going through. So take heart, child of God. Take heart. We come, God, to this table of holy communion, broken bread symbolizing Christ's body for us, juice symbolizing Christ's blood shed for us. Let it be for us the body and blood of Christ that we might be for the world the body of Christ, redeemed by his blood. Amen.